from Australia, broadcasting around the world. Around the world. You're listening to the Mitch Maroney Show. Here's your host, Mitch Maroney. Obviously, we charge fee, etc., but I'm invested in their business because the better their business goes, the more advice they're going to need, the more work they're going to need, the more money I make. So they make more yep. money, I make more money, everybody makes more money. So Yeah, and then they go, oh, I'm paying too much tax. I said, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're making money. Let's, uh... <laughs> You're making money. So sure. this is what we're about and doing it properly. And rest assured, anyone that comes up and tries to pioneer to me, so this makes a good segue into, say, contractors. And, oh, I've got all these employees on my payroll. I want to turn them into contractors so I don't have to pay payroll tax and super. Look, it's called sham contracting. You're not a pioneer. ATO is onto it. Fair Work's onto it. This environment we've now got with COVID, it's terrible. You know, a lot of people have been badly impacted and it's forced the look businesses look at whether they can keep people employed, whether they've stood them down. I've had to give advice on standing down versus redundancies versus, you know, whether they're in a state where it's effectively technically insolvent when they come out. It's terrible. Now, most of that stuff isn't been in the early days. Most of my clients aren't in that area, but there are groups that can help them. And again, you'd sit down with Mitchell in the first instance and crunch it with, guess what, your cash flow forecast, noting there's job seeker and job keeper and cash boost and all that. Now, the poor point is one thing I do want to say is just last week a very big decision came down in the federal court, Monsanto, regarding casuals. Now, the timing is horrendous because essentially what it's saying very, very briefly is that if you are a casual employee that has a regular schedule or roster of employment, then even though you had a contract of casual employment, parties agreed it was casual employment, you were paid casual leave loading, but you're now entitled under that decision to go back and get annual leave prorated on that regularity. That has actually got all employees (gasps) throwing their arms up in the air, especially in retail and hospitality. Whether the government passes legislation to amend it, we don't know. But right now, that's a very big time bomb that oh, yeah. no one really needed right in the middle yeah, of the pandemic. No, timing on that was terrible, but it's a massive change and not purely because of the timing, but I suppose it's, it's the old adage, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Um, so that goes back to the contractors as well. If you tell them when to rock up, they do what you say, they're under your insurance, they use your equipment, you can call them whatever you want to call them, but they're an employee. That's right. So people that come to me and say, oh, I just draw a contract book. I said, beautiful analogy it is, it's that duck analogy. And don't try it. It's not worth it. The fines are huge, the problems are huge, the insurance, you know, the work, please don't do it. And there's some really good tests and sort of self-help guides through the ATO website that you can run it through. But talk to someone like me or myself about that. But don't try and restructure because you think that that might save you tax or costs. The, the laws are very tight and close and anything you think you're doing that's unique or original, rest assured you've been there and done that. And if you haven't, there's cases in the courts and you don't want to spend that money finding out whether you are. It's just <laughs> Exactly, not. exactly. And yeah. I'm not a lawyer on this one, but I would assume this would be the case. Mm-hmm. If you do decide, yep, we're going to do this and we're going to restructure it in some way to make the duck suddenly look like a chicken, I yep. would assume in the future if that suddenly came up, the court would not look fondly on the fact you just changed everything purely to get this outcome. Yeah, you're exactly right. Not only does it get all unwound and put back, but you get complimentary fines with it, like hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's like cops. If you've been speeding and they say, why are you speeding? They, they do need to entertain themselves. You're going to get that fine. Yeah. Once you breach the law, you breach it. So please don't do that. 
But in times of desperation or difficulty or, or what we're going through is change, change management, because businesses are going to need to adapt. And we're going to have a chat about a bit more of the things that we can do coming through and out the other side of COVID because it, it's not going away. We're in the middle of it. We've just been very lucky that we've not eradicated, but we've really minimised it here in Western Australia and Australia to a large degree. But don't do things that are desperate. What you want is an objective independent advisor to help you, you think it through. It's a bit, again, like going to a doctor. You know, the reason why they're a bit grumpy and gruff with you is they need to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. So it's very important and it doesn't mean we're going to make you do it. Remember I talked about the cigarette smoking? There's no law against it even though we know it kills you. I mean, it will kill you. It's, that's, yeah. it's just scientific and medical fact. But if you want to do it, that's fine. A bit like licking a PowerPoint, you know, I don't recommend it, but if that's what you want to do, do it. Yeah. What we're trying to do is for the sensible business operators is to avoid those pitfalls and look for the optimizations. And there are other ways. As I said, there was other ways to reconstruct your workforce and look at things and labour hire and other arrangements. So I won't spend too long on those, but very important. Probably the takeaway there, like Mitchell said at the beginning, was also employment arrangements you can do on a handshake. And if you employ someone, you employ them. But there's about seven or eight different sets of legislation that automatically apply to them. Generally, fair work if they're a corporate entity here in Western Australia or a corporate trustee, then you're going to have long service leave, public leave, you're going to have superannuation, income tax, you're going to have all this legislation, all these aspects. Now, you probably don't know them all, the employee certainly generally doesn't. So having an employment agreement actually helps balance it all out. And by law, these ones have to be a much more fair and balanced agreement when you have like a franchise agreement, it can be quite one-sided because obviously someone's protecting their intellectual property and their contractual right, and it can be quite biased, a bit like a lease, which we'll talk about. But employment agreements inherently have to be balanced because you've got things like you should have dispute grievance processes and, you know, the time you've got to give people notices or performance notices versus summary dismissal, redundancies, annual leave. But say if you've got employees and you, you don't want them taking annual leave without notice. So you, you might say, well, you've got to give us three weeks notice before you book annual leave, or if you're sick on a Friday or a Monday, you've got to give me a medical certificate, not a pharmacy certificate. You know, if you want all these things in there, you can't have restraints of trade, you can't stop them doing their livelihood, but you can stop them from poaching your staff and your key suppliers. But none of that stuff can you fit on as they've gone or if you've got a dispute. Again, it's that parachute. You've got to build it, you've got to put it on at the beginning. So getting a good employment agreement and a contractor agreement is very important. Now, contractors you can have as individuals, but they can also be companies, trusts, da, 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 da. but they are very distinctly different. And Mitchell gave a good rundown of some of the factors affecting whether it is. So rather than spend a whole, because literally I could, we could do a whole seminar and I do, I've done it probably 22 times in <laughs> four years of mine. So I'm happy to do that another day, but but that's super important. So, so please really, really consider investing in a good contemporary employment agreement with policies as well, you know, drug and alcohol, social media policies, all, all these are things are good. They're best practice. They're designed to build you the best business. And they're not overly costly to do and they're certainly cheaper than dealing with the dispute. Yeah, exactly. Um, like it, you said, with the timing of it, so if you're, let's say, restraint of trade, so somebody's not going to steal your clientele or your staff, there is no way they are going to sign that document once they've left and got all the contact details and stuff. It's just not going to happen. So whereas if you get it from the start, you know, as a condition of employment here, yada, 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 at least that's the agreement from the start and that would be an enforceable one depending on it. But that would be way better because nobody's going to sign that after they've left. 
It's just no. Yeah, well, you can't even make them do it. In fact, because no. you a very important tip, and it's a good point you make here. And here's another takeaway: a very simple analogy. You know, when you go into a car park and you look up, and there's that big sign with all that googly legally writing, and and there's a ticket, and you're leaving out to grab a ticket. Now, you don't sign a contract. But if you actually bother to get out of your car and read that, which I'm sure none of you do, but if you if you like me and you do, I'm sad, but yes, I do, I read everything, <laughs> then it'll say, no, you accept the risks and you're, you're going to park and you're not going to damage the premises, but if you're thinking it's and if you don't agree, please turn around and reverse the car now, right? But if you proceed, then you're deemed to accept these terms and conditions. You only can accept terms and conditions which you've been made aware of and by either by an overt act like signing or, or clicking I have read and accept and if you go next, next, next and accept and you haven't read it, you're still bound legally. Yep. There's yep. no getting out of that one. <laughs> but if, for example, if you're a small business owner and I do see it occasionally when they've done their own surgery, you want to make your terms and conditions available known at the beginning, all right, of any arrangement you enter into. So you should send it with your quote or your tender. But if you make your terms and conditions, I saw it with some car repairers once, you know, not once, I've seen it many times, but, and they had the terms and conditions on the back of their invoice. Now, (laughs) (laughs) the customer never knew what all those terms and conditions were. They never made available at the beginning. You've got to do it at the right time. That's actually a legal concept. And and in order to have contract, there has to be offer acceptance certainty of terms intention to create legal relations. So you must communicate it. Now, a lot of this stuff can be done digitally now. Most of us do it by email, phone calls and so forth, SMS, help us. But you can send your terms and conditions and you can do things by email and you don't always have to have it signed. You can have saying, oh, thanks for that, Mitchell. I'm pleased to engage your services. Please go ahead. Here's a purchase order or I authorise you. So, so understand you can be more agile with your business. Not everything has to be committed to paper and so forth. We like the paper record. So do understand that. And that's how you can trade through your websites and do that. But I thought before I got onto that, would you like me to chat a little about modern premises leasing and some of the things that Yeah, I've, yeah, I've, I think that that would be really interesting because especially commercial leasing, there's some big yeah. big things to look out for. So, yeah, I think I think that would be really interesting. Okay, because I'm a leasing lawyer as well, as I said at the beginning, and we do a lot, a lot of leasing. I act more so for landlords, but <laughs> I also act for, for lessees, tenants. Now, the things I'm going to tell you, these are, these are facts and these are really, really important, so please listen and understand. When you deal with leasing people, leasing negotiators, they've got to make money, leasing agents and so forth. I get all that. And, and you might engage someone to negotiate your lease for you. Now, that's all fine. I've got enough work to do. But the only people that are legally allowed to write and draft leases that are non-standard form like regal ones are lawyers. Funny that, and <laughs> unless they're standard. So here's some really important tips on general leasing negotiations and lease arrangements, and then what we're going to do, what I'm noting out there, which my leasing clients, my landlord clients aren't going to be happy with me, but um, they know that this stuff's coming up and I'm happy to share this because this is the real world. So here's some tips. So... If ever you're negotiating a lease, and these are business leases, so please, this is nothing to do with residential leases, and there's two broad species. Commercial is anything to do that's non-residential, and there's a regulated species called Residential Tenancies or Retail Shops Agreements Commercial Tenancies Act. We'll just call them the retail leases, and they're not just for everything you think are retail. They can capture things like pubs and hotels. They can be pharmacies and all sorts of things, Right. So these are the types of broad commercial and retail subsets. Now, when you're negotiating a lease, there's a thing, you're ultimately going to enter a lease agreement. Now, they can be short or long form, 
If they are a retail lease, they'll need a disclosure statement that by law has to be brought. Quite often a leasing agent will get and negotiate saying, look, I want you to, look, we'll agree all this and we'll go by email, I'll show you the premise, and they want to land a new lease lessee. So they'll say, sign this offer to lease. Now, I've used the word offer to lease. They could call it a heads of agreement term sheet. If you don't read it, and like Mitchell said earlier about what you call something versus what it does, I can absolutely tell you that if you read those things carefully, quite often it says down the bottom, you hereby agree to be bound by the full and final form of the landlord's standard form commercial lease and you'll pay all the legal costs and you have no right to really negotiate it. So please, once you sign something that's an offer, guess what? You've accepted it. Guess what? It's a contract. So you've got to make sure that that is non-binding on you. That's a very big tip. You know, leasing agents do high fives when they get uh, newbies that don't understand that. So that's, please, at that point when you've got the offer to lease in your hands and you haven't signed it, go and see Mitchell about it and crunch the figures, right? Here's some other insights, really important insights in the leasing market. First of all, I'm not a licensed property value, but I deal with enough leases and I can absolutely assure you that property market will not be necessarily going up for a little while. If not, it's going to go off the cliff a fair bit very soon. Once all the job keeper and the, the mortgage deferrals and everything weans off. So there's this notion out there that leases always have to have a rent review going up by 3% or 5% or 2 plus CPI. Well, first of all, that's not the real world. Right now, there's a lot of businesses that have pivoted and gone online. A lot of businesses don't need as much retail space or looking to work from home with commercial premises. So to say that there has to be, it's not the law and it's not required, okay? So if you're negotiating a lease, you know, you've still got to find a ground where the lessor, but you're going to find a lot more desperate lessors. So don't think that they tell you, oh, it's standard. No, it's not. And CPI has no nexus to leasing or property. It's to do with consumer price index. So it's what leasing agents like, but is not required. And we've got to be careful because in Japan, 10 years ago, they had deflation. They went negative. Mm. So, look, maybe a CPI rent review might turn out a bit. Market rent reviews, if you've got them in a commercial lease, they've got a thing called a ratchet clause where they can choose the higher of a pre-described market CPI or fixed percentage. It's nasty. It ratchets upwards. Whereas under the Retail Shops Act, they must pre-describe which is the lease rent review mechanism for each year. And if market does occur and you go through that process, it must go down if it does go down. So retail leasing does have a few attributes that are going to be minimum five-year term, et cetera. So the big tip there is there's no need to necessarily be paying any rent review increases. In fact, they should be grateful that someone like yourself is taking your premises and paying their variable outgoings and rates and taxes. Especially at the moment. There's a lot of vacant ones around. You got it, Mitchell. So, so crunch your figures. And we are right in the middle of a pandemic. So whatever they were asking in February or a year ago has no nexus to the real world. Ask what will the world be like in October, April next year, June next year. That's where you're going because you're going to commit to a long-term financial and legal commitment with a lease. Quite often after wages, it's your most expensive part of a business and it could make or break whether your business is profitable. The other thing that came up in COVID a lot of uh, tenants came to us in early days. I've been required to mandatorily shut down. I'm a gym, I'm a beautician, I'm this, I'm that. Look, so many businesses got affected. They said, well, isn't it rent abatement, you know? And I said, no. Why? Well, the premises is still there. Unfortunately for you, 
you are not permitted to use, but it's not the landlord's fault. They are supplying you with the land and the premise. This is obviously people with their hands in the air. This is inequitable. This is unfair. Don't I have something like force majeure or these active gods? Well, I said, yes, you do. You commonly have them in well-drafted supply or or complex contracts and things like that I do for for other clients, but they're almost non-existent till now in leases. (laughs) So because what you want to have in your new lease is if you get shut down through no fault of your own, you don't want a rent deferral. You want abatement. You want so that they're fundamentally different. Deferral means you're going to still have to pay it in a time period. Abatement means, oh, we're going to write it off. And so what you want to think about is negotiating a force majeure clause that says if I'm affected by the equivalent of a pandemic or epidemic or similar thing beyond my control or the government legislates, then I get a rent abatement for that period. But if it goes, say, longer than 30 or 60 days or 90 days, you pick it, then I can get out of the lease yeah. because you might need to, to shut the business. Now, look, no one wants to go in, do a fit out that can cost tens or hundreds of thousands and move again. But we just don't know what's going on in the world. And, and unless our friends in other countries want to stop these wet markets eating bat and pangolin soup and weird stuff like that, there's the chance that we could be ending up with other pandemics and so forth. We had SARS and MERS and things like that. So it's a very serious thing. And, and so for leasing now, you, for those businesses that need a premises, like a lot of retail, mm-hmm. customer facing and things like that, whereas fortunately for Mitchell and I, we can remote work, you know, but we still love seeing our clients in person and, and things like that with people, people. But really think about those aspects. You also don't necessarily want to take big long terms in your lease. So a five-year, they're entitled to it, but chop it up. Maybe take two years or one year plus two plus three. And that way, if it's going good, you've got the unilateral right to go forward. But if it's not going or you've gone great and you want to move, then you can, you know. Exactly. You can uh, get out a lot easier. You can, yeah, if it's all gone to shit and doesn't work, you can get out. You're not bound to the remaining yeah, lease. Yeah, you don't want a 10-year chunky one because right now also the notion of leasing agent, I'm picking on them, and some of them are really good guys and gals and they've got to make money, I get it. But, uh, oh, look, you can sign or sublease it. No, mate, as Mitchell again wisely said, walk around the street, you walk around commercial retail, look how many full lease signs and I can assure you there'll be a lot more sadly. So it's really hard to offload that. Don't think you've got plan B or take that off you. And I've seen businesses go to the wall because their turnover, leasing going up on those crazy rent reviews, but their turnover is going down. You know, a lot of those ones in shopping centres just got massacred on their leases. Prime example of that, like a lot of the leases that they're in are shocking from the point of view of the small business that's part of them. I mean, if you own a shopping centre, it's an awesome, awesome contract. But um, Yeah, yeah, you're right. Mind you, you're going to have to talk a few Westfield and AMP and and so forth managers down off the shelf now or the ledge because they've realised the paradigm's changing. What happened with COVID, of course, is it accelerated our penchant to go towards online shopping people have adapted quite well and of course do you want to go get stuck in a big supermarket or a big shopping center with people with diseases and things like that so if it breaks out again people go back to buying so the need the absolute need to go retail shopping is not as paramount as it used to be and that experience we've accelerated it so what i want you to think about is where the world will be in a year two three five years out so, so you want to chop your terms up to be a bit more flexible. You might find you can pivot your business to have an online aspect to complement your physical one. So do you need as big a shop front physical one and hold as much stock on the floor 
if you can run a JIT or just-in-time inventory and better management so you don't have to hold as much stock. You've got car dealers just about falling over themselves, the poor holding guys when they were told by GMH. They're no longer, you know, they've got all these leases and they've got all this stock and now, you know, so things, unfortunately in life, things change. And what COVID's done is given the world a rapid acceleration of having to adapt. And look how we've adapted with Zoom and our families and hygiene and humanity. I mean, everyone's been actually, I think, nicer to each other yeah, as a result yeah. of it. Um, even with, like, all the restrictions and stuff, everyone's been nicer. I've seen a lot more people, you know, going for bike rides with their family or, you know, just being mm. more connected, I suppose, even though we yeah. are further apart. But it's, it's been nice to see in that respect. Yeah, and, that, and that's what, why we're here and that's what's so wonderful about being here in Australia and, and part of the global world, there's no doubt about it. And so, so I think that those things you've got to take on board that we do change. Everyone liked to. And I said to my, I've got two teenage sons and, I, and uh, oh, this year's a write-off. And I said, yeah, but life wasn't about a straight line, you know. Yeah. Sometimes it's about adapting and how you, it's not adversity, but how you deal with it that defines you. And I think now it's a challenge for business owners, those starting up. I'm just this week alone. God, it's Monday, isn't it? Or Tuesday, I can't remember. It's Monday. And I've already had four new in- business inquiries this week, people wanting to start a barber's store. I don't do too many of those leases. I mean, they're <laughs> small things. And then I've got a, a new tech company starting up and I've got some new software that actually they'd come away from another group and now they want a license. So, you know, there's a lot of things coming out of hibernation. A lot of people thought about things during this time. I've got other people who said, look, I love that time with my family. I think it's time to sell. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. people do age. People, as I said, you are going to leave. So independent of this pandemic and, and the world as it is, they've said, look, I, I still want to retire. You know, I just need to get my business ready for sale. And, again, that's something where you sit down with Mitchell and he can work through the figures. Is it best to sell the business assets? Can we sell the equity? And when we mean equity, can we sell the shares or, or the units or a partnership interest? So those things are coming out. We'll see people, unfortunately, like we did with the GFC and those that have been around the recession in 92. God, I have been around too long. But what happened is people lost their jobs, but people then wanted to create jobs for themselves. So they would start their own business and things like that. So this is why I think it's so topical. But it's really complex. You can Google it. Google the hell out of stuff. We're not stopping you. But, but again, it's really important to get specific advice to your circumstances and understand it and understand all the financial, legal, talk to your insurance advisors, talk to any regulatory things. There's some people there in the government that are going to help and do things like that. But but it really is important in business to go in with a really good plan. And even if it looks like a little bit of work and hard work, it's easier to do that than try and do it once you're busy with work and everything's going, isn't it, Richard? Yes, 100%. You've been listening to The Mitch Maroney Show. Mitch Maroney Show. Stay tuned for more.